morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is the World Football Index podcast. My name's Laura Bradburn and welcome to the show. As always, I'm joined by Stevie Grieve. How are you doing, Stevie? I'm alright, how are you? Not too bad. Another quick week um, and some of the more major leagues are drawing closer, so it's getting a lot more exciting. I made I signed up to 11 sports this week, so I thought for £6 a month it was probably worth it, so going to get my Eredivisie and Serie A and La Liga all in one place away from Sky, so that can only be a good thing. Aye, I think that's a good thing. Do you know what I do? I actually sign up to like Scout and Insta and things like that, so you watch whatever you want on these things that instead of paying millions for every individual subscriber, you can just like, you can watch them all on that. Aye, no, I'm probably going to go that way myself, but we'll see how this new one goes. I have to say I was, I was on it briefly this morning and it was looking a little bit um, certainly down market from the production values of some of the bigger companies, but I suppose that's what you get if you're only willing to pay six pound a month for it. Aye, aye, you're not getting Sky, but you still watch your game. It's good. <laughs> aye, so we'll see how that goes. Anyway, um, as well as Stevie joining me today, we have a guest on the show. Um, his name is John McKenzie. He's a, an editor for Real Sport One. Um, his work's been published in places such as The Blizzard, TalkSport, Vavo and numerous others. And he's now host of the Football Media Podcast on the A Team of John O'Shea's podcast network. Um, John, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I feel as though my voice isn't as Scottish as it should be for this podcast. <laughs> well, it's, it's a hindrance, to be honest, John. It's a big <laughs> probably they come with uh, subtitles. Yeah, probably most of the people that listen to this show will understand you better than they understand me or Stevie. So you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, on the show today, we're going to talk to John a little bit about um, about the new podcast that focuses on football media, um, and we're going to open that up into a bit of a wider discussion about social media in the modern football age and how that affects fans' interactions with our clubs and with the game in general, and then finally look at a little bit of the growth of football journalism and independent football journalism in the modern game and where that's taken us. First of all, John, congratulations on what I have to say was a really interesting and in-depth pod. I listened to it on the commute home earlier in the week and it really was fascinating to hear some of the insights from you and, and your guest. If you wouldn't mind just to start off just explaining a little bit about where the idea for the podcast came from and, and how how you went about sort of setting it up. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I guess there's a couple of um, reasons why I started it up. Uh, one of which is, and I hasten to add that I don't want to pigeonhole myself as someone who reacts to everything that Miguel Delaney says, but in a tweet that he sent me, I don't know how long ago it was now, quite a while ago, he, he questioned whether or not I knew anything about the industry at all. I made some comments about the future of the industry, and he said, you know, you don't know anything about the industry. So I thought, well, yeah, you're probably right. I'll 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 do as much as I can to sort of really start getting to grips with what's going on behind the scenes in the sports in the sports media world in particular. So that was that was the first thing that got me thinking about something like a, a, a football media podcast. The second thing was I started listening to a guy called Richard Deitch's uh, sports media podcast. It's called the Sports Media Podcast or Sports Media Pod- Podcast, which he originally had on. Um, he's a he's an American chap. He was originally on Sports Illustrated, and but he's now works for an outlet called The Athletic, which is an online, it's basically an online subscription network where you you it's mainly written stuff, but they have podcasts as well. Um, he 
now runs this this podcast called the Sports Media Podcast, and he interviews people from around the U.S. almost exclusively the U.S. Um, but it, some of the some of the interviews that he has are fascinating. He, he'll interview people who are anything from like pitch side pitch side reporters, people who are writing for business um, media, people who are um, reporters for various outlets. And he'll if a big story comes up, um, he'll he'll say. ESPN sack all of their I don't know football department he will he will get them on and they will talk through what happened and talk through the ins and outs and I thought you know there's nothing like that in the football um, context in the UK so I decided to to start it up so it was just something I've had at the back of my mind and I've been running podcasts for a while so um, on the team of John O'Shea's network we have a number of different uh, streams of podcasts so it just seemed like a natural thing to to add that into into the mix so yeah you can find it on the team of john o'shea's platform you won't find you won't find it if you search for the uh, football media podcast um you'll have to search for team of john o'shea's yeah i was was quite glad when i when i found it because like you say it was it was a little bit difficult to find with that with that search term that i was using so for anybody who wants to give the i think there's only been one episode out so far if that's correct and um it's on the team of john o'shea's podcast network so that's that's where to search so John, looking at the at the podcast in terms of the target audience and things like that, I'm not sure if that's something that you've considered up to now, but um, there's a well-known phrase that kind of gets banded around a little bit about some things being a little bit too inside baseball. Um, is this a podcast that's primarily for people working within the football media industry or do you think there's something there for fans to take from it as well? What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, there's a sense in which this is very much not for for the for the average fan. Um, in the sense that we are, you know, opening the bonnet and looking beneath the beneath the bonnet into the engine of the car um, of sports media. And I've, in many respects, I haven't really thought even about the 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 audience so much, which I suppose is a bad bad thing to say at the beginning of a of a new podcast. But for me, a lot of this this is simply about it is about creating a resource. That there's something that isn't there. There's a niche in the market, and um, I simply want to have these conversations, open these conversations out so that people can have uh, a better idea of what's going on. On the one hand, if if their fans are interested in knowing what's what what the sports media scene is like. On the other hand, uh, it is the, pl- the place to open up discussion for people within the industry because I think one of the things I found uh, I come back to time and time again in this um, in the discussions that I'm having on this podcast is that there is really not that much self-awareness on the part of, I think, the, the British football media scene. There really doesn't seem to be that much of a desire to talk about the, the changing face of the, of the market. Um, and where the future is going, the, the effects of things like social media, the fact that so much of our technology now makes a lot of the stuff that the media used to do so much easier for just the average fan to be able to do. And there's not really that much discussion of that. So for, primarily, I think that, that that is the the tenor of what it is that I want to be doing with this podcast. And if that is interesting to fans, and I think it, it can be, it doesn't have to simply be a sort of a industry podcast, Then then so be it. Um, Stevie, I'll, I'll bring you in here and, and ask you yourself. I know for me personally, obviously, having entered the world of sort of independent online football journalism, it's certainly something that is of interest to me as I kind of build my experience within the industry. But for you, what's your thoughts on, you know, do you think that there's uh, something that fans can add to their appreciation of the game, do you think? Or do you think it'll, you know, maybe help to change attitudes towards some of the more negative attitudes that fans might have towards um, some in the football media? I think, you know, you've got 
a, a portion of the independent football media where they'll look at things which traditional football media don't look at, or they'll go to a far level, a far deeper level of depth, for example. If you watch or even read a lot of newspapers and things like that, there's a lot of stuff that just skim the surface, partially because of deadlines and time frames, partially because of the amount of time you need to spend working on a story, for example, might not allow you to actually research and go into depth to learn about something new. So when you have independent football journalism in different forms of media, you have people who have probably spent a lot of time learning about things which traditional football media guys are definitely not experts on, particularly things like tactics, things to do with coaching, to try and take some context out of things. So what they might do is they might go in a different direction from what traditional football media do. Then what you'll have is the guys in traditional football media go into what the independent, successful independent guys are doing take what it is that they are being successful with and then try and add it to their own library or skill set, if you like. So I think what it does is it's good at provoking other people to react to the changing of the market. Because if there are not people doing new things from a different perspective, nothing will ever evolve unless you have somebody in the industry themselves who are willing to do it. And from my own experience of working in it a little bit, you have a lot of people who they're more than happy to say you don't have a clue what you're talking about because you're not in the industry. But you can know a lot about it without having worked in it because you've studied and researched it so that when you go into the position to work as part of the industry, you're already at a level playing field. You might not know the in-depth problems that people may have, but you have an understanding of other things. So it's interesting you mentioned Miguel telling him you don't know anything about the industry because I get the impression Miguel's quite good at that, telling people that they're not that good. I remember I'm trying to tell Ted nuts in. He didn't know enough about football because he didn't work in football, so which is clearly nonsense or Knutson, if you want to call Ted his real name. So, <laughs> yeah, there's there's always an element of people who work in the media who've got to a good position who are quite happy to tell folk they don't know what they're talking about, but they don't know enough about that person to know if they do or not. So I think <laughs> it's I think it's great that people make the effort, and 95% of it can be rubbish, but the five percent of it which is good is going to help change uh, the mass market. If you like. Yeah, that's, they're all great points, and I think it probably opens us up into a bit of a, a wider discussion. John, I'll come to you first on this. I know certainly that, personally, I've seen both the positive and negative sides of of the way that social media that you were talking about earlier has kind of changed the face of how we interact with, with our clubs and with the sport in general. Obviously, it gives people who would never previously have had a voice a platform in which to air their views and interact with people that they previously didn't have any contact with. Um, what's your feeling on social media in general and, and the independent journalism football movement and how it's affected the game so far? Yeah, that, I think I find myself sort of caught in between between those two points, you know, the fact that there can be good things coming from it and there can also be bad things coming from it. I think it is it is good that there's a, a there's an egalitarian aspect to to social media which is that if you have something worth saying and 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 you say it and people like it then it can get more exposure as a result of that. Um which is I suppose the reason why social media has become such a big thing. The problem is, is that so often that's not the the way that it works. Um, and one of the things I think that I find so frustrating about the the sports media context for social media is that um, we have so many people now thinking that they, because they have that ability to give themselves that sort of exposure, therefore 
they have the same sort of right to be able to say whatever it is that they want to say and and there's no real there's no real thought about um necessarily whether or not what they're saying is is worthy of being heard and uh, as as part of my job as as a as a football editor i i i get the i get the chance and it's a, it's, it's something that i'm actually thankful for the chance to to read a lot of work from people who want to make it in the industry who are trying everything they can to to get a, a position in the industry, and 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 I can understand why that would, why that would be the case because it's a great it's a great job to have. It's a it's a really fulfilling uh, area to work in. But you know the the amount of stuff that I have to go through where either where people just contact me uh, being entirely rude really and just saying I want to write for you, or people sending me stuff that I kind of think I I can't believe that you think that you'll you'll ever get get published. Um, when you're writing at this sort of level, I think that that for me is the is the downside to social media is that it has it, <laughs> it has um, given a huge amount of people that this sort of feeling that they they have a right to be heard. And I, uh, far be it from me to say that you know we we <laughs> there are people. There's no that for me. There's no elitism here. It should be a meritocracy. If you have something worth saying and you can say it well, then you have every right to to be able to to do that. And a lot of the time i just i think the social media element has meant that that we've almost lost the ability to necessarily discern what should and shouldn't be listened to but i mean that's maybe a a topic that we could have a further discussion on yeah i think you're right i think um social media lends itself to kind of sometimes the loudest voices are the ones that are heard most often and they're not necessarily the ones with the most intelligent or or the most well put points to make. Stevie, I know I've certainly come across uh, that on Twitter, maybe people having very aggressive or very overtly negative reactions to things that I've written and published and people sort of taking things completely out of context in terms of forgetting that it's a sport that we're talking about, forgetting that it's a it's a pastime for people and, and that everything that we're saying is just opinions none of it, well a lot of it isn't fact. What's your experience been? I know you've got a much larger sort of social media following than me what's your experience been would you say yours has been largely positive or 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 largely negative or a kind of mix between the two mine's is mostly positive to be honest perhaps because i have a really good opinion i don't know Um, (laughs) i don't know i think i think it depends on how how in depth is your opinion as in if somebody tries to dispute it how much can you push back where actually, well, these are the rationale why, these are the deeper, deeper levels of context to support what you've said? Not everybody's going to agree. Like, when I worked on, when I worked on TV in India, you would get people tweeting you at the end of the game, and I would say probably 99 out of 100 was positive. You get one guy disagreeing with what you've said because you've said something bad about Man United or Real Madrid or whatever, which then there comes a point of, do you play up to that? So you become a wee bit of a character. So, do I play up to winding up Real Madrid fans just for a laugh or Man United fans? So from me, it was interesting that we had, we had Barry Ferguson over a couple of weeks ago for a camp and he was saying that he hates social media because if you go on the radio or you go on TV and you put forward an opinion, you're not putting it forward as gospel truth or facts. You're just saying, like, this is, this is my thoughts on the situation given the question that you've asked me. You might not have had that much time to think about it. So you've got to put forward an opinion. And it might be something complete rubbish that you haven't prepared for or something you've never thought of before. And if you put it something which then people start to shoot down, I think in social media there's a lot of, there's no care for that person because it's all blind and it's all anonymous. 
I think now you have a situation where there's a lot of people coming forward and admitting that they have depression. And social media does not help in the slightest if you have depression, especially if people are being negative. So I think there's the pros and cons of it. The obvious pros are that lots of people can put forward their opinion and you can you can discuss it and you can have more informed opinions or you can learn something new or you can look at it from a different perspective. But at the same time, it gives people the opportunity to just shoot you down. And at the end of it, because they've got nothing else to say, they'll say, well, that's my opinion, which is generally the argument of people who don't know what they're talking about. It's just to say, well, it's my opinion. I yeah. hate it when that happens. I think, like you say as well, um, I think there is a difference in more traditional channels in the past, you know, before things could be recorded, before things could be consumed and brewed over. If you did say something on a television programme or if you did write something in a paper, there was a kind of impermanence to it that people would be angry at it for a short time, but they ultimately didn't have a way to let you know they were annoyed about it and they they would forget about it. Nowadays, people can pull up old tweets, they can pull up old internet articles. They, If you say anything, you know, this supposed wisdom that people have when you state something that nine months down the line, the, the opposite turns out to be true and they throw it back in your face. It's kind of... It, it's strange to me because... They, they seem to see that as a way of proving their point when when a lot of us who are who are in this kind of industry of putting our voices out there and, and, and making our opinions known, we're all in the boat where we don't have a crystal ball. We're, we're assessing things at the time that we're saying it and we're trying our best to come to a conclusion that we believe to be true. It doesn't mean that the, the opposite won't be true in nine, ten months, a year's time. So I don't really see the point of, of people dragging it up, but it seems to happen quite a lot. Um, John, just just to ask you about that in general, do you think that with the the sort of increase of social media and its use, let's focus a little bit more on the positives of it, I suppose. Um, what do you think are the advantages to somebody who's maybe trying to get a foot into the industry or or to a fan who's trying to interact more with their club, what are the positive sides of that, do you think? Well, I was just about to launch into an invective about the negative, another negative side of it, but I'll, I'll go with the positives <laughs> for, for now. I was just going to say, adding to your point, I'll say it now because I think it, it leads on from what you've been saying, so there's no point talking about it and then coming back to it. But yeah, yeah. in terms of exposure, that can be a good thing. But what I find with what I find with social media is is that in the past, you know, when I was at university, we didn't really have social media. When I started out, I, I went to university and Facebook appeared while we were at university. Yeah. Um, but when we when we when I was first at university, you would go to the pub with someone and you'd have a conversation about something, and it would be something that one of the two of you would be interested in, and generally that would mean that one of the two of you would have some kind of knowledge of the thing that you were talking about, making the conversation worthy. I think when you when you when you add social media into the mix, what starts happening is you not only are you increasing your exposure to to more people, um, but you're exp- increasing your exposure to more ideas. And what generally tends to happen then is that the expectation is is that you can have a say on any topic. So in the past, I would go to the pub, I would talk about football with my friends. Now I can go to I can go on social media, talk to football about football to my friends, and then someone can say something about I don't know art history. And that becomes a conversation that I'm then inculcated in in some way. And I think the problem with that then is that people start thinking that they have the right to just have opinions on everything, um, which is which is the case. But they 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 
they they confuse the fact that generally we we would we would talk about the things that we considered ourselves specialist in because we wouldn't think of any of these other areas now we are expected to have ideas and opinions on everything because people are having those conversations and i think that's probably an, a negative thing because because people want to join into conversations so the fact that it opens you up to those myriad conversations and then therefore you want to say things uh, that make you feel as though you're fitting in with the conversation i think has probably been a bit of a, a, a downside but um, in terms of the positives, yeah, look, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for social media. So much of what I've achieved in my admittedly <laughs> insalubrious career so far as a sports journalist, I've achieved because I managed to make networks through social medias. Yeah, I've been able to engage and interact with people who have been able to encourage me to improve in my in my work i've been able to have exposure to people and access to people who i've been able to talk to and uh, get work through and i've been able to learn how to do things like press box work that i would never have got had it not been for social media um etc etc so there is a huge positive side to it but i think marrying the two points that i've just talked about there the negative and the positive make the most of social media by making the most of your own expertise find out what it is that you know about find find areas that you can specialize in don't feel the need to be able to talk about everything one of the first things that I did when I was working in football writing was was to um, start watching the Bundesliga fanatically, and that's I think that's helped me in my career in the sense that you know it, it allowed me to it allowed me something that I could say look this is something I don't really know much about but I can I can learn about and it ta- obviously takes time it takes at least I think two or three if not longer seasons to really get a handle on the the players who are there not not to even to mention the the history behind those that league but it we've lost this I think we've lost the sum of what I'm trying to say is what we've lost is this ability to accept that that sports journalism is a craft uh, whatever job you have in this in the media it, it is it is a craft you have to work at it hard you have to you, you have to go through the, the mistakes that everyone makes you have to learn how it is that you can be better and I think that too often we we've we've lost that the ability to just put things out there on social media immediately without it being edited i say this as an editor but the ability to have someone else go through your work and tell you that this is where it can improve is much better to be done before you then expose that to the public than using the public as that as that acid test so i think yeah my my advice to anyone who's looking at going in, into the into the sphere would be yeah, use social media by all accounts, but so much of the work that you're going to have to do is going to be done on your own outside of that context before you then bring yourself into that sphere. So try and try and use it for the things that it can be beneficial for. Yeah, that that was a really interesting point to, to bring up and something that I actually experienced myself. Um, uh, last week I was watching uh, Leicester Man United and I freely admit that uh, my knowledge of the Premier League, my knowledge is... is it's sort of a half decent, but my focus is much more on the Bundesliga and Serie A, which I write about and, and blog about and um, podcast about quite in depth. And, and that's something I've been quite open about. I happened to tweet that it was the first time I'd had a chance to look properly at James Madison and he looked quite a player because to me it, it was somebody I hadn't really observed before queue a number of fans from uh, the English Championship talking to me about how he was one of the best players in that league last season and how could somebody in the industry not not know who he was and not not appreciate what a player he was and, and the minute I just said I don't watch the Championship, they had no answer for it because at the end of the day 
we've all got limited time, we've all got, you know, busy careers, busy jobs. I think, like you say, that the best thing to do in a situation like that is to focus on an area that you find interesting, to focus on something that really takes your passion and, and, and sort of delve into that more deeply. And I think that's where social media in particular can have a really positive impact because you can surround yourself with thousands of voices and you can surround yourself with a number of people who are experts on the situation and make yourself more knowledgeable. Stevie, I, I, I guess that's something that you would probably agree with. You you have a very, certainly from what I've seen of your work, you've got a very sort of in-depth knowledge of, of tactics and coaching and things like that. Do you think that social media is something that's helped you sort of improve that and, and sort of bring you into that world more? Um, I wouldn't say social media has helped improve it massively. It's helped a little bit because you you have the perspective of other people or it maybe gives you a bit more refinement. What I would say is it's given me a little bit more perspective on other things which might change my viewpoint a little bit. Like, for example, I, I think I probably started using Twitter about 2013 and one of the things that I was really interested in was how can how can tactical development inform youth development? As in, how can better players through making better teams? Um, and there was guys that I came across, Adinos and Basic, um, Rennie Maric, Jed Davis. They'd come up with various different things. Um, another thing I was interested in was evidence-based coaching. Because as a guy who's five foot five and at the time doing my UEFA B license, I was seeing a lot of sessions which I thought, I don't agree with this. But I didn't know why. And I'm watching people slinging in crosses from 35 yards out from bad angles into bad areas. And I'm going, that's never, you're never going to get a goal off that, you're hoping. And then I come across stats bomb, and I thought, this is going to make a big difference here. So I started learning about percentages, how to look at skill sets of players that are more profile-based rather than just, what are they good at? Passing, dribbling, shooting. Okay, let's look at touches in the box, key passes, expected goals per pass, that sort of thing. So... I would say social media is that opened up a lot of new ways to learn rather than just teach you about what you already know, so to speak. I do a lot of tactical stuff. I'm a coach. Um, I do consultation work. I try and teach people. So I think social media has opened up a new avenue to meet more people and discuss with more people. It's opened up new avenues for things to learn about. I think... Um, it's interesting now that I work as a consultant and people are like, well, how did you learn about these things? And I thought, I didn't, I didn't go looking for them. They were there. They were in front of me. And then I thought, that's interesting. And as you know what it's like, you end up going down a rabbit hole and never getting out. You just kind of get stuck in and digging deeper and realizing that you know nothing and then you need to keep <laughs> going. So it's, it's interesting that you mentioned before about people editing stuff. Like I do, I did some articles for various websites. I, I wrote books when I was younger. And none of them were edited. Um, they needed editing. I look back at them now and I hate them all. <laughs> they, you, know, you know what it's like, though? You, you write something or you read something or you or you put something out there and then six months later you're like, that's garbage. That needs changed and you, yeah. you, you go through it. So, again, if people want to go back five years and go, oh, that look look how crap he was. And you look at it and you go, well, I was 25 and I wrote that. I'm now 31. Yeah. So my viewpoint has changed. My knowledge has changed. So... I think social media is one of the things where if you want to use it negatively, you can. If you want to go online and slaughter people for stuff because it makes you feel good, then you can. That's 
a lot of people have no lives other than being negative. They have nothing constructive to add. So they'll quite happily go online and slate other people's work. And then they'll say, well, that's my opinion, just because they can't do it. So I think if you're going to work in any form of media, whether it's podcasts, writing articles, practical analysis, whether you create an e-course and put it online and some journalist laughs and says, how can you be doing that? You've never worked in the Champions League. Oh, well, that's <laughs> up to you. If I worked in the Champions League, I'd charge 10 grand for it, not $100. So that's... it's one of the things where if people want to be negative. They can. You just, if you want, you just start blocking people, which is good, which <laughs> I've started doing more frequently now because I can't be bothered. Yeah. Like, if I could negativity. If I could jump in here, you know, I I totally agree, obviously. But for me, the the real trick with something like Twitter, which I'd probably use too much anyway, but for me, it, it was negatively affecting me, I think, and it, until I got to a point where I was like, look, this is a tool and I can use it in a certain way. I've got to decide what the way that I want to use that tool is. I'll use it that way and then and and then leave it at that. So I never really engage with anyone who, again, it, that, talking about what I was talking before, you know, when you're having conversations with friends in pubs, that's fine. That's what you do. You can have disagreements and that. But I wouldn't go into a pub and have a disagreement in a conversation with someone I didn't know sat at another table. So I kind of I treat I treat Twitter the same way, you know. If I will only respond to people who are either looking for well, I will never respond to people who are looking for a fight, but even people who are trying to start a conversation that you can kind of sense is going in a certain direction. I will always only ever do that if I know the person uh, well well enough. So it, I think it's so it's so important to to not allow social media to become normalised in that respect. You've got to you've got to maintain your own uh, ownership over it and control over it. And if it doesn't work in that way, then there's no point having it. So yeah, block people away. That's why I, I do that too. Block away. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, you know, I've never been one for blocking people ever until maybe the last four or five months, and I thought to myself. If you're going to be negative, I don't want to listen to your negative crap. I'm not interested in it. Block. Yeah. I don't, and then, then I don't hear from them. And I think to myself, where did that person go? And then I go, oh, I blocked them. I don't really care. Like, I just block and forget. So it's, it's one yeah. of those things. I think, like, if you if you work in independent media, you, you're probably more open or, or less open, should I say, to being slaughtered than somebody in the mainstream because you're no as notorious or infamous, if you like. So I think that the more people get up the ladder, the more times people want to try and shoot you down because they have nothing better in their life. So there's the negative aspect of that. But for me, and I would say probably the bulky people who are, who do things like podcasts or have websites and things like that, the bulk of it is overwhelmingly positive. And I think if, if your experience of trying to publish and promote and create new content for people to use, whether you make money off it or not, your viewpoint of the negativity is maybe 2% of people. If you have 2% negativity and 90% positivity and some people are not that bothered, then I think it's easy to be bogged down by the one or two idiots rather than the 90 nice people. So it's one of those things where by, by putting things out there and by being so open these days, everybody's able to be shot at which was never there in the past. If you wrote for the Daily Record, you have to write a letter in <laughs> and yeah. it maybe gets published. Whereas now somebody can just go in and type two lines of, you're an idiot, your opinion is rubbish, you don't know what you're talking about. But they've never done anything. So it's one of those things where, as an independent worker, doing stuff for yourself, you're always going to take criticism. It's just how you can, how, how bothered are you by it? If you're not bothered, then it's not a big deal. 
Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree with all of that. I think I think all of us here would would acknowledge that there you've got to take it as, as something that comes with part of the territory. If you want your opinions out there and you want your voice to be heard, then you've got to expect some blowback on that because not everybody's going to agree with you. Um, just opening the discussion a little bit wider, um, John, I was listening to the podcast really with a lot of great interest. You were talking to um, Connor Ketley, who's the executive um, of Leaders in Sport. And one of the topics of conversation we touched on it at the beginning of the podcast was about the the change in the way that we are consuming the game um how aspects of it are becoming much more targeted towards people's interests and you know streaming services are becoming much more involved in the way that we are able to observe football matches i know that as i said at the beginning of the pod i've signed up for 11 sports just to get my fix of Serie A and Eredivisie and La Liga as well. Where do you see that going? I know you. I know you spoke about it quite in depth on your own pod, but for for everybody listening, what what is the impact of these independent streaming companies coming up going to do both to the sort of more established platforms and 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 where do you see it going in the future? Yeah, there's a lot in lot in that in that question. I think Stevie would tell you, being a coach, you know, change doesn't happen in conscious ways a lot of the time. And I think a lot of what, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Stevie, but a lot of what coaches are doing is uh, instilling ideas in people without them even realizing a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, that's a really good way of looking at the way that the sports media and is affected by these undercurrents of uh, and changes that are going on all the time beneath the surface. So I think, again, you know, what what, what we talked about in that podcast was that you know in the history of in the history of uh, TV broadcasting rights in the UK, everything has been dominated by main, two main companies, and one of the biggest is obviously Sky TV, um, and they've had the monopoly for for years and years and years, and then and then BT kind of came in. There was obviously other peripheral companies as well, but BT came in and they they spent a lot of money, got the rights as well, and what they both of these companies were big um, powerhouse broadcasting companies anyway. I mean, I guess less so with BT, but they were aware of the way that the media worked. And they operated in a very, very traditional system. And I think what's really interesting about Eleven Sport is that they are they are not going to adopt that model. They are realizing that they can only compete if they can offer something that these other outlets don't offer. And so Eleven Sport, they began in smaller uh, market. So they started out in Singapore. They, they had uh, the Premier League rights out in Singapore. And they almost used that as a test case scenario for how you might develop a, a broadcasting uh, model out in, out in Singapore. And then they're bringing that over into Europe now. And what they will be trying to do is they will be trying to, I think, attract a younger audience, perhaps, because I think a lot of the um, the Sky TVs and the BTs, um, those those sorts of companies have, have developed models of TV broadcasting that operate through package systems that work through satellite or cable television. So the assumption being that the person who's choosing whether or not to have that at the end of the day will tend to be a comfortable house o- owner who is probably older and will be thinking about whether or not to get it as part of their house package. That's obviously not the way that it works anymore because you can, you can get your um, TV through streaming internet streaming uh, 
systems and and that means that anyone could could get one so you you're talking about people you're, you're talking about even teenagers i guess who are still at home they could feasibly spend their their disposable income on as you said it was like five pounds a month they could easily spend it on that if they wanted to watch uh, la liga for example um so what that means i think is that there's a realization that you don't need to attract the the, the person who owns the the power in that power dynamic is always the person with the money and so i think given that it's going to be middle class older people who are being targeted by sky tv and, and bt those those uh, systems those models of broadcasting have always tended to be a little bit more traditional a little bit more staid i think and what we're seeing now with 11 sports is we're going to see um i think a little bit more i don't know how i would say it but a, a little bit more attractive to to people of, of our generation or of the millennial generation who will look at it and they will want to be engaged they don't they are aware of the fact that they can change things by not wanting to adopt the status quo and so i think we'll start seeing more i think halftime sh- shows will change i don't think anyone is is impressed with the sky tv's proverbial um, and perfunctory sort of two minutes on penalties there there will be post and pre uh, match programs that i think will start looking different they'll start looking probably more and this is a topic actually we talked about in the podcast that i just recorded yesterday on on the way that podcasting is going but i think there will be there'll be more and more companies realizing that that you can just get people in a studio very cheaply have the conversations that people want to have you don't need to have pundits who have been ex-pros necessarily what you will start getting is personalities the people who you want to hear talk about things not because necessarily you agree with what they talk about all, all the time but because you like the way that they engage with one another and you like the way that they talk about the game so i think those will be the sorts of changes that you'll start seeing and and as stevie said before you know what happens is is the big players in these markets they always look see what's happening in the in the sort of the periphery in the in the sort of punk um areas of the of the of the sphere and they'll pick on up on those and that will change the way that the 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 mainstream broadcasters are, are operating so in many respects i think it's a good thing um in in other respects i think again it's just the way that this is just the way that capitalism works the the, the big outlets will always just eventually evolve um because they can and they can be the slowest to do that because they they can they still have the money so i i always was of the opinion that podcasting would be great because it would allow people to to have this sort of outlet and and make a name for themselves because it's so cheap and easy to do but at the end of the day look here look where the big po- football podcasts are now the independent has started one recently the telegraph has started one recently we've seen the big schism between football weekly and totally football show um all the money is still in the mainstream outlets obviously you still have the the exposure to those smaller punk outlets but and then in the in the main we're always going to see the big outlets sort of eventually taking up the the trends and and making them uh, popular um stevie just to bring bring you in on that there's some some really interesting points that john brought up there um one of which being the kind of large variety of both podcasts and um networks available to get things i think one thing that john touched on in in these podcasts uh, the football media podcast was the fact that you know even for one league they're they're now in a situation where there's a potential where you're going to have to subscribe to three different services podcasts are more numerous there's more hours of podcasts than there are hours in the week to the point where it's impossible to listen to everything that's out there do you think that there is a saturation point coming with that stuff or do you think people will just kind of find their little niche and and, and sort of curl up in that corner or where do you think that's going i think that there'll be a natural evolution we see 
thing is Daz in sports who have managed to take over like the Champions League rights in Canada. So there's going to be so much more stuff done online. I thought it was interesting when John said that the target market for like Sky is middle-aged people who have secure income who are not really bothered about quality of content. Younger people are definitely bothered about quality of content because they're fed up listening to nonsense opinions when they know better. I'd say that the <clears> younger <throat> generation are now significantly better educated than previous generations. So if there's something that there's no right, younger people will now say, why are you talking rubbish? That's not the reason at all. Why are you on the TV talking rubbish? Because that's complete crap. So now you'll get situations where you've got, instead of listening to Michael Owen on TV, would you rather listen to somebody like Jed Davis? So if there was like an independent, let's say, for example, you took 20 well-known analysts, for example, and said, right, guys, we're going to watch um, a bunch of games over the weekend. You're going to cover the French League, the Spanish League, the German League, the Italian League, the Dutch League, etc., etc. You guys cover that game, have a discussion about the tactics. You guys cover that game. I'm willing to bet that there would be a huge market for people who would be willing to watch professional match analysts actually cover a game and speak about it because having been in TV for three years, the pundits actually have a big say in what gets discussed. The presenter might say, oh, let's talk about the, the referee's decision for five minutes. That's just lazy. There's nothing else to that. That's, that's lazy. TSN don't do it, and they're really good. So you can look at it and go, do we want to discuss a, a debatable refereeing decision? Or do you want to discuss how the team have got complete control of the game and what's the mechanisms to achieve that? And then highlight a player within the system who isn't exactly um, the most well-known or the most recognised or why they're part of the game is, is valuable. So I think that naturally football TV will evolve. We've already seen in the print media, like people are putting expected goals tables in. That's going to need to be explained to the public, but it's getting there. So I think that when you look at future marketing or future um, assignments of how sport is covered, I think there will naturally be a movement away from recognised names from playing the game to recognise games from studying the game and putting forward good opinions. Because if you take people who are really good, but not names, you can put them on TV for six weeks and then they become a name. That happened to me. So it's not like you need names at the start. And I think the natural evolution will be when companies start looking at who can they get from independent low-level media and elevating something through production and marketing and making it the top level and then making it rival the biggest companies for a fraction of the cost. Content is higher. The quality is the same. The price is cheaper. Younger people can refer more to the, the guys that they, they see as an aspirational person rather than somebody who, well, he played... 20 games for Portsmouth in the Premier League, let's shove him on TV. Doesn't it work like that? I think to pick up on what you're saying there, um, it's funny because there's so many out there. I think I think we can all think of the obvious ones, but so many that have got these cushy jobs as pundits, purely based on, like you say, a, a kind of less than less than stellar career. And and a lot of them don't appear to have the knowledge to Either it might not be that they don't have the knowledge within within their their grasp, but they certainly don't know how to put it, put it across well, and yet they have been able to build a name for themselves and get themselves into an industry without really being able to communicate those ideas in a, a proper way, and still were 
having a situation where I think Wayne Rooney pun- was a pundit for a game towards the end of last season. And some people were acting surprised that he was a good pundit. And I'm sitting thinking, well, why wouldn't he be a good pundit? He's played at the very top of the game. You can tell by the way that he plays the game that he's a very intelligent footballer. Why wouldn't he have valuable opinions that you would want to listen to? I'd certainly rather listen to him than than to name a few names, Jermaine Genus or um Robbie Savage. I think I think somebody like a Wayne Rooney, Rio Ferdinand, um Steven Gerrard, somebody like that that has, has won basically everything there is to win in club football. Um Steven Gerrard obviously hasn't won the Premier League, but we won't go there. They obviously have a lot, I would assume, have a lot more to offer because of the ability they have on the pitch. Um, and, and so there is value there. Having said that, I agree with you, Stevie. Um, there's certainly a place for people who maybe have not played the game to a very high level. If they've studied it if, enough, if they're articulate, if they're well spoken, if they're well written, they, they certainly have a place for that. Um, I know that I was absolutely gutted when the, um, European football show on BT Sport was, was cancelled last season to sit and listen for an hour every week to Raphael Honigstein, uh, Julian Laurent, James Horncastle, people like that talk in depth about the game. I got more enjoyment from that than I got from a, a number of other sources. And I think that that's, that's something that's sorely missed and hopefully something that will change going forward. Um, John, just to, to move the discussion on a little bit, there's so much change and flux going on within the industry at the moment, particularly in terms of um, independent football journalism and, and online journalism particularly. Do you see that becoming the mainstream or do you think that the tradi- more traditional media channels will sort of remain in place for, for a long time to come? Yeah, that's a good question, <laughs> and I and I don't even pretend to have have an answer of, of how it will go. But look, it's it's already started happening that way. The Independent, for example, is no longer a newspaper, and what we're going to see is that I, we, we're going to see the death of the print media. There will no longer be newspapers printed in even as close as five years' time, I suspect. So what we are seeing is we we are seeing these mainstream outlets going into an online space and really starting to think about what it is that they have to be to exist as an outlet on a, on an online space. And, you know, even, I mean, you, you see the way that the, the independent or the eye have, have changed in terms of, uh, of their news and politics reporting, um, since they've moved online. And I think a similar shift will happen in terms of their, their sports journalism. Um, w- one of the big questions for me, I guess, is to what extent, Will people continue to want to have um, post-match reporting in the traditional manner? The, the match report, I mean, the match report has, has changed immeasurably anyway since everyone knows what's going on in a match and you can watch the games and the goals as they, as they stream through onto your social media on your, on your smartphone as you're, as you're going about your day-to-day life. So but you don't need match reports. No one needs to know what happened in a game because people have a rough idea what happened on, in a game just by following their Twitter timeline. So what we're seeing with things like, um, uh, match reports is they're becoming a lot more op-ed based so you will get someone like Barney Roney who will clearly have gone into a match with most of his piece already written with an angle on it and then he will uh, and and we all, we all do this when we're doing match reporting anyway but you, you're going in with your sort of ideas um, very very much already coherently formed and then you write the match report through 
um, the repeats and that, through the pieces it goes. And that's, and that's an art form um, as, as well. And I think that's the way that it will, will have to go. And I think, you know, what it is that the, the mainstream can do and where they differ from the independent um, outlets is that they can, they can buy quality. So the best writers um, in terms of classically being able to write well are all working in, in generally in, in some kind of form of the mainstream media. Um, now, it's not simply because they, these guys are the best at writing. It's also because these outlets have the best editors as well. Let's, let's not forget that. And so that's not to say that there won't be independent um, writers coming through who will, who will be able to have that um, ability to write well or develop that ability to write well, but it's just so much harder to, to do it just from your own bat or to do it through just a, um, a group of committed people um, editing one another's work um, in their spare time. You know, that's, that's the big, that's the big pusher for me. You know, it's the, the fact that if you are, and, and this is what, even, even now, you know, I wish I was doing more freelance work on the side, but when I spend, when I spend my working day eight till six o'clock, reading other people's work the last thing i want to do then is sit down and 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 write write something of my own and so i think the ability for these these outlets to be able to pay people full time to just focus on their own writing means that they'll always they'll always be um i think a mainstream what i think will change will be the form and the formats of what of what goes on uh, beneath the scenes and one of the things that we're having to do all the time at real sport is think through um different format approaches that that can make us stand out uh, because we have to do that because we don't have the, the people writing who just can automatically get thousands of clicks on their articles because people will know if this person writes i will enjoy what they write almost exclusively um so we have to think through like um quirky quirky approaches we have to think about ways of getting our content as uh, obviously to, to to a level that is good quality but also that it, it gets appreciated so um, I think what will start happening is that when the when the mainstream moves into that online space, we'll start seeing that a lot more. There's so much that the mainstream could do that it doesn't do. And I find this is what I think has amazed me most about my job is that there's no one in the British markets um, who really thinks about how their formatting and, the, the, and when I say formatting I mean what kind of pieces are you wanting to write what kind of pieces are the audience wanting to to read so much of what it seems to be in the British context is just write an article just write your thoughts about what is going on and people don't want that Pe people want to have interesting um I guess um so for example one of the things that we've been doing is just a weekend roundup after the weekend where you get one person uh, to write something about each game less than less than 300 words but you're just talking and, and you're not talking necessarily about the game itself you're talking about one aspect of it so it can be anything so for example last week i wrote about tottenham's away shirt being awful and um, i also wrote about uh, petter Cech having put on a huge amount of bulk and just really short um, sections and we got we had all 10 games covered in the premier league and yeah people people want to read that it did really well so that this is the sort of thing you see in the American market all the time. We're not seeing this happening at all, really, in the British market. This sort of careful thinking about context and thinking about what it is that the the audience wants to to, to read and, and 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 listen to and view, and that's what that's where it will go, I think. So the the independent is always the independent sports outlets are always important for that because they're always on the cutting edge. But the mainstream media will always swallow them up. I think that will be the relationship between them. 
Yeah, Stevie, just to, to further that point, I think John's hit the nail on the head in terms of, uh, I think we all agree that print media is sort of on the way out and online is the way it's going to go. With, with some of the points that he's raised about the focus of how reporting is going to change and, and, and the, the things that it's going to focus on are going to be slightly more off-kilter than what we've been used to in the past, what's your opinion on where you would like to see it go? What type of things would you maybe like there to be more focus on that there isn't presently? I'm going to be honest. I don't read that much stuff anymore. A little bit because I got a bit fed up of it. I watched the game. I don't need to, a review of it. Somebody did a shot. Somebody did a tackle. Somebody chased back. I don't need a review of that. What I would like to see is the why. More why. Why did that happen? Why was it successful? What is different between Maurizio Sarri and Antonio Conte? Why is it going to be successful? Because it's good that they've hired them. Right, okay, so we know how he plays because we watched Napoli. Napoli were great. Can he do it with Chelsea and what's he going to need? Okay, statistically and stylistically, what's the difference between England and Serie A and what things might he have to adapt between the two leagues and how will that then affect maybe the fitness training or the periodisation and things like that? Like, more in-depth, as to why. Now, that's probably me being um, one or two percent of the readership. Most people might be interested in Tottenham's away shirt is horrible. And I'm just <laughs> going to add to that. As an Arsenal supporter, all of their shirts in history have been horrible. So I take it from that point of view. I'm no, like, and that, that's not something that would interest me, but I would probably still read it just for a laugh. So I think if you're, if you're looking at different things from what the mainstream are going to do, then I think it's a good thing. Like I, I always think is like if you can get away from what everybody else is doing and do something different, go in a different direction, then naturally you're going to achieve different results, but more people are going to read it. And I think for me, like, more about the why and the how and, and how it's going to be done, because then that's, that's when you can see how in-depth somebody is about something or how much not, how knowledgeable they are about a specific thing to do with like tactics or structures and strategies and stuff like that or if you can get um, really high-level statistical analysis people, or let's say you let's say you need something to do with recruitment, and you ask Nikos Overhill, Nikos, can you give us your opinion on how transfers have gone and why, and then give a wee bit about his background or set pieces and things like that. So, I think there are, there are so many ways that people can go in a different direction that I, I probably couldn't tell you what what I want. But if you put something good in front of me, I'll go, well, this is good. Let's do more of this. So I think a lot of people don't actually know what they want. They just, when it's put in front of them, then they know what they like. Mm. So it's hard to predict the future when you don't know what it is. Yeah. I think I think you've summed up brilliantly there with that, that last statement. It's one of those things, it's sometimes very hard to articulate exactly what you do like, but you recognise something good when you see it. And... Um, I know from from reading a lot of more independent um, things, like I know I'm an avid reader of uh, these Football Times, this really high quality magazine, independent magazine that's produced, and some of the angles on some of the articles within that are really, you know, off kilter, completely from left field that you wouldn't really expect to find on a more established platform, but they are so much more enjoyable and so much more interesting and give you insights into the game that you really wouldn't find anywhere else so hopefully if that's the way that if that's the direction media is going and then then we're in for some sort of really interesting uh, progressions within the the journalism area in, in years to come um 
we're running a little bit short on time, so I think we've covered quite a lot of bases there. Um, and we'll just close out by saying, John, thanks very much for coming on. All the best with the with the new podcast. Um, episode two. When when can people listen to that? Yeah, uh, that'll be out at the weekend. So yeah, uh, the best way of, of listen, best way of listening to that is going to Audio Boom um, or iTunes and searching for a team of John O'Shea's, and then if you follow that. Uh, the platform through the through our RSS feed and everything that I do on the um, football media podcast will go through there and just drop into your into your podcast aggregators okay and and uh, you individually I know you do a lot of writing and things like that where can people sort of follow your individual work yeah so if you follow me at john underscore mckenzie um it's j-o-n without the h and then it's m-a-c-k as as the proper name mckenzie should be spelt i'm sure you both have opinions on that um <laughs> and that's yeah that's that's where you can find me that's fantastic thanks very much and i'm sure we'll be um listening intently to that second episode given that it focuses on podcasts as you were saying earlier on um stevie thanks again for joining us this week where can people find you just on Twitter at Stevie Grieve. That's great. Um, my name's Laura Bradburn. You can find me on Twitter at lbrad88. This has been the World Football Index podcast, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.